O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake of your, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol who will give you praise. Truly, this is our prayer that, that God not judge us in his anger, that he would deliver us in his mercy. <clears throat> we need that mercy. But we can only make this plea that the psalmist makes to the extent that we're also repenting of our sins. We recognize that God has the right to judge us in his anger for our unrighteousness and for our failure to follow him for our sins. And, and yet we plead for his mercy because he is a merciful God. And so he promises again and again and again that those who turn to him and return to him, he will bless. And his judgment will be abated against those people. And it's the same here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is pleading out, Woe is me, my mother, that I bore you, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I've not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. It's a tough life to be a prophet. It's a tough life to go against the grain and to call people to repentance, especially in a time of what looks like prosperity in the land. And so Jeremiah, everybody hates him. I mean, they've tried to arrest him. They've tried to put him to death. They've, they've treated him horribly. And, and he just doesn't understand why they hate him. He's just speaking the words of the Lord. And, and it's the message in the ministry of Jesus, right? It says their hatred is of Jesus, but it's really of God, the one who calls them to account for their sins. And so he says, we too will be hated as he was hated, that that's the life we're destined to lead. Because if the world loves us, then we're not speaking the truth to the world, in a lot of ways. It's nice to hear the moral teaching, but it's awful to hear about the moral judgment. And so we have to plead before the Father that, that it's tough. And he says, yes, I know that. I know that. I sent my son. And you saw what happened to him. And so Jeremiah is pleading that same thing. And, and God's reassuring Jeremiah in an odd way in some ways because he's talking about the judgments that's going to come on the land. And, it, he, and Jeremiah takes no joy in that judgment that's coming. He, he's, he's struggling with this because he's going to suffer as well. And he is pleading with the Lord, in your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And he's saying, I wasn't one of them. I didn't do the things that they did. He, and he ends up with this. I think this is a wonderful um, synonym. I guess it's a, yeah, synonym. Um, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? It's, he wants to make sure that the things that he has said are true and that God will indeed prove Jeremiah's words to be true, and then he makes the promise, if you return, I'll restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And so God says, I'll give you the strength that they need, Jeremiah. They'll fight against you, but they won't prevail against you, for I'm with you to save and deliver you. 
I'll deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. And so it is to the extent that we are proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to the extent that we are proclaiming Him as the only way, the truth, and the life, then God will be with us as well, and He will give us that same strength so long as we continue to proclaim truth in His name. And so Jeremiah is struggling mightily because of the persecution that's coming against him. And, and it's easy when that comes, when it's difficult, it's easy not just to give up, but to say, am I doing the right thing? Did I get this right? Am I hearing you right? Am I saying it right? And that's Jeremiah's plea. Lord, don't let this be like a deceitful brook which fails. So you hear the sound of the water, but then there's actually no water there. In the gospel, we're going to go back to the lesson we just had recently on Sunday, which is the Greeks who come to Jesus at the Passover feast, the final Passover feast. They come and they want to see him. They've heard the stories. They've heard about Lazarus. They've heard about the blind man. They've heard all these things. They've seen the triumphal procession into town where the people proclaimed him as king, and now they want to know who this is. And they want to have a private audience with him. And Philip and Andrew asked Jesus, and Jesus then says nothing more than the, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Which sounds like something totally different than what's actually going to happen. There's no way the disciples heard that in that way. He gives this, this veiled sort of reference, if you're not listening for it at the time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And nobody could possibly have thought that this was going to be a Roman cross at the end of this week. They're riding the crest of a wave that, that nobody saw coming several years before that, but now it's become a foreseeable thing because all the incredible things Jesus has done. Even the blind man said, nobody's ever done this in history. Nobody's ever healed a man born blind. And then they said, nobody's ever done the miracle like he did with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so it, it looks like we're moving towards a, um, a coronation. It seems pretty simple that that's where this is headed. He's proven everything that he needs to prove. And the, the proof is the world is going out to him, and the proof is the people proclaimed him the king as he came into town. And so it looks like the Messianic age is about to be realized. And Jesus has given these dark words about falling into the earth and dying, and whoever loves his life loses it, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That doesn't fit with the expectations of the people at this point in time. They're guarding this incredible celebrity and, and who has any idea that only in a few short days the guy that was just proclaimed as king will then be on a cross dying mocked wearing a crown of thorns. No one could possibly have imagined how this week would end. It's the way we live, right? I mean, it's the way we're, we've kind of lived. The last little bit is not knowing what a day will bring. You think you can make a plan and you can do this, that, and the other thing, and then life gets in the way. We live in a fallen, busted, and broken world of sin, and, and so anything can happen, any bad thing can happen. You just don't think it'll ever happen to you. 
we, we're completely unaware of a tragedy that could strike at any moment because we <clears throat> get in a comfort zone and we start to see things and we start to believe things and, and we think we see where things are going and then suddenly your world's turned upside down. And here the disciples think they see what's going to happen next. I'm sure they were really excited about what the future would hold. And possibly even this week during Passover, God's going to do this great thing. And then suddenly the world is going to be turned upside down. And Jesus gives them that warning and this dark response to their request for the Greeks to come and see Jesus starts with that statement about it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified, but then after that, it's it's dark, and it's got to be confusing. Like, what's he talking about? Why is he saying these things? But it's true, and it's our call as Christians to to live sort of countercultural lives. Blessed are they who mourn, you know, those kinds of things, that, 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 the things that, that see that pain in the world. And sometimes the only way we can see the pain in the world is to experience the pain in the world. And so here the disciples, whatever they may be thinking, they're following the, the Messiah. They're, they're, they're going to be right and left hand. You know, that's what John's mother asked. And suddenly they're going to find that the only way to get there is through the cross and those horrible three days. And then blazing joy of resurrection on Easter. But it's a difficult journey. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death in order to get there. And Jesus is warning them for that. It's, he, it's not preparing them. They weren't prepared. No matter how many times he told them what was going to happen, they were not prepared for that. They're only hearing the glorification part. But they had no idea how much glory would come through that pain and suffering and death. No earthly idea how much greater the resurrection of Jesus would be than the raising of Lazarus from the dead because Jesus' resurrection from the dead was permanent. It's a powerful thing to see this and to know that the word is going to go out from this place about him. There may be great confusion when these people leave town and head back to their places, but the word's going to go out and people will have heard. And then the job of the, of the apostles is going to be to go and preach the gospel of the resurrection you might not have heard the rest of the story, or maybe you have. Maybe you heard a rumor of what happened after that Friday. Let me tell you that story. Let me tell you about the resurrected Christ, the one who is now glorified, sits at the right hand of the Father and will reign there throughout all eternity, the one we await his coming again. It's a powerful message, and um, Jesus is preparing the ground, although nobody could imagine what he was preparing them for. In Philippians, Paul has the benefit of hindsight to know <laughs> these things. And so Paul says, hold on to what we've attained. And the way that he says to hold on to what's been attained is to join in imitating him and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he says, keep walking on the upward way. Keep following that path. Be truly followers of Jesus in all you do. Keep your eyes fixed on him. 
And he says, it's painful to me to see that they're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul knows what that looks like because Paul had once been an enemy of the cross of Christ himself. He was the one who's persecuting the church, denying Jesus to have been the Messiah. And now he sees that that cross, that thing that's folly, the thing that's an insult, the man who died on the tree, is the hope of God. It's the hope of everlasting life. What seems like the most ludicrous thing in the world to unbelieving eyes becomes the most powerful symbol of God's love for humanity. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so he says, if you would see the kingdom you believe in, if you would see the world you believe in, this world that's not busted and broken by sin, the world where things are as you know deep in your being they should be, if that's what you really want to see, that perfected creation with a perfected humanity in it. He says, if you, that's what you'd see, set your eyes on Him. Keep them fixed on Him. Follow Jesus every moment. Never let it waver. Know that your only hope is Christ Jesus. Take joy in Him. Take delight in Him. Take everything in him that's the call that's the call of all christians is to follow jesus with loving longing hearts desiring him above all else because we know that nothing more could satisfy us we can only be satisfied in that way and if you believe in a perfect world where bad things don't happen to good people in fact bad things don't happen at all then keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and you'll see that world. You'll live in that world throughout all eternity. You'll live the way God intended you to live before sin entered the world and before sin entered your life. His promise is the same as the promise in Jeremiah, that if we keep our eyes fixed on Him, and if we turn to Him with all our heart, and we confess our sins, and we follow Him, and we imitate Him, then we will see that world the longing of our heart for that perfected world that we truly believe is the great reality, the result of a good and gracious God creating that world, then we must follow Him and we must serve Him in all that we do and all that we say, remembering always our citizenship in heaven, is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our bodies need to be transformed just as the world needs to be transformed. And he's the only one who can do it. And that's his promise, that we can share in that life, beginning now through the power of the Holy Spirit and then throughout all eternity. We will see the world God intended us to live in. And we will be the people he intended us to be.